0: I got this pulpit from the office this week, and I'm glad I did because I got to do a mic thing. This is crazy. <sighs> so we got to go back in time for a moment together. As a people of the book who believe that God has spoken, when we read this book, we become time travelers. This book was written to people who don't look like us, who don't talk like us, who don't dress like us, who don't eat like us. And when we read the Bible, we enter into their world. Reading the Old Testament, as we have been doing, we're entering into the Jewish world, and not the Jewish world of our day, not modern Israel. We're entering the ancient Middle East, the ancient Near East. In this moment, when we go back to Isaiah 53, Israel is no longer a great power in the world. Israel has gone through a civil war, and there are two kingdoms where there once was one. In the north, you have the nation still called Israel. Ten tribes of the north. In the south, you have Judah, two tribes of the south. Isaiah is a prophet in the southern kingdom of Judah. While Isaiah preaches in the south, Hosea preaches in the north. Isaiah is a minister to the movers and the shakers. Isaiah is related to the king, which means he can go into the palace. He knows the big dogs, you know what I'm saying? Isaiah ministers to the upper echelon of the world, whereas like Micah, who was alive during this time, Micah preaches to the shepherds and the fishermen. Now, the first 39 chapters of Isaiah's book, This big scroll he wrote, the first 39 chapters are just judgment. If you read it, Isaiah's telling Israel, you're living in sin, and we're all going to burn. He says, Assyria is going to smack us around for a while. And when they're done smacking us around, Babylon will rise up, and they are going to eat us. In Isaiah 39, he prophesies Babylon will come. And burn Judah to the ground, tear the walls down, the temple will be left to nothing, and everything he prophesies comes to pass. A hundred years after Isaiah speaks these words, the city falls to Babylon. The temple is burned, the walls are torn down, it all comes to pass. Well, Isaiah 40 to 66, the second half of the book, is really strange. Most historians think that Isaiah wrote the first section to everybody The trains are coming. Then he wrote part two of his book, and he tied it up and gave it to his followers and said, when everything I told you happens, when you are in exile and in slavery, open this book and read it. And they held on to it. And it all happens. Babylon comes. The walls are torn. They go into slavery. They're like, dude, it's time to read Isaiah part two. And they cut it open, and they... And what's wild is it's not a big, I told you so, I told you. No. The second part, when he opens the book, it's a word of comfort. It's Isaiah saying, Listen, I know you're in slavery, but God has not forgotten us. God made a promise to our father Abraham, and he promised to watch out for us, and he has not forgotten his promise. He goes, Trust me when I say God opened a door, he's going to restore us from slavery, exile, back to our home. It's going to happen. When God opens a door, be courageous and enter. Walk over there and do this thing. Now, this book by Isaiah is not merely, it's not just saying Israel will be restored to the land. It also, for Isaiah... The highest good is not merely Israel being in their hometown. No. Isaiah looks forward to a future hope beyond the borders of Israel. He looks forward to a new heaven and a new earth. And as Isaiah talks about, we'll go home someday. He'll like slip and say, and someday we'll be in a forever home. And he begins talking about the end of all things. And as Isaiah prophesies of the future future, he talks about a servant. There are four songs in Isaiah 49 through 66. And these four servant songs are about this servant who will come and speak God's peace to the nations. Now, we will be in one of these songs today. One of these servant songs. This is the most popular of all four of the servant songs. The first thing you need to know about the servant is this. The servant brings hope. Imagine reading this scroll. Your people are in bondage. You're living in a land not your own. You are a servant class of people. And you're being told, someday, this God's going to send somebody to bring us to a better place, a better land, a better thing. And they have hope that this servant is going to come and make all the bad things right. The Jews had a name for this guy. They called him Messiah, the anointed one. And he's going to come someday and make everything better. This servant, this Messiah, will someday come and bring hope. And man... This is like a superhero in their mind. They're waiting for Superman to come down from Krypton and bring them to a better destiny. And they're waiting. Well, in this chapter, 53, Isaiah is about to upset all of their expectations. We begin verse 53. It says this. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The servant brings hope. But the first thing Isaiah says here is the servant will be rejected. The servant will be rejected. Listen, who has believed what he has heard from us? No one believes the message. We're going to tell everybody about that he's coming, and no one's going to believe us when he shows up. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Basically, God is moving, and no one sees it. For this servant grows up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. I missed this metaphor when I first read it. Like a root out of dry ground. I think you probably get this, brother Roy. Imagine a dry, parched piece of earth. There's drought. There's no rain. The ground—it's cr- like my lawn. You know what I'm saying? It, the, the the earth cracks. The grass dies. I pay a due to fertilize it, and It still looks that way. <laughs> that's what said. I'm very stupid. Um, but here's the deal. So you have this dry ground all destroyed, and a single piece of green bursts out of the ground. Now, I'm not going to think to myself, man, that's going to be the greatest stock of corn ever. I'm going to think this is going to be a pathetic, withered, it can't survive in this dry ground. It can't. The servant's going to be like He's going to come from this desolate, broken place. And listen, it says he has no form or majesty that we should look at him. This servant has no beauty that we should desire him. Now, we, when we think about leaders, someone to follow, someone to believe in, we want someone attractive, strong, tall. I want a leader who can... Just beat up everyone else's leader. My dad can beat up your dad, right? We want a leader who's strong and able. He says, this leader, he's not a beautiful man. People people look at him. They don't see majesty. They don't see attractiveness. There's no beauty that we should desire to follow him. He was despised and rejected by men. People are like, man, you're a loser. I don't want to follow you. This is the hero they're waiting for. In 1970, I believe, 76, the first Superman movie came out. And the tagline was, you will believe a man can fly. That was a tagline. And Christopher Reeves was Superman. And Christopher Reeves is a manly man, isn't he? He's like six foot three, big old shoulders, strong. And I loved, I loved how Christopher Reeves, he would stand so strong as Superman, man. But with Clark Kent, he'd be all hunched over, and he'd fold his shoulders in, so you wouldn't know it was him. Superman. Christopher Reeves is a great Superman because Christopher Reeves is so, he's so tall. And that curl he had, it's Superman, you know? We want our heroes to be like Christopher Reeves, strong, tall, mighty, biceps. That's what we want. But this hero is a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. People, they see him come by, they hide their faces. Almost like when you're driving down an exit ramp, there's a homeless guy, you don't look at him. You don't want to look at him, you just just look away. People treat the servant of God this way, they'll look away. They despised him and did not esteem him. This servant is gonna come. This servant who's gonna bring hope and be God's messenger of peace. This servant's gonna come and the people will not, they'll not follow him. They're gonna reject him. The servant will be rejected. Their great hero, no one is gonna like him. Verse 4 Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. The servant who's rejected is going to suffer. And he's going to suffer for our sake. Listen, he's borne whose griefs? Our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. When we looked at him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted, the reason he's beat down... He's pierced for our transgressions. He's crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that will bring us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This servant is going to come and he is going to have his head kicked in. The servant's going to come, and he's not going to be the victor. He's going to be the victim. This great servant leader is going to come, and the world is going to beat him down bad. The language used, crushed, pierced. This guy, we want our heroes to win the fight. We want our heroes to walk into a room. There's four guys versus one, and he beats them all up and walks out with not a scratch on him. That is the hero of the movie. This hero walks in the room and gets beat down. I can imagine them reading this and going, who are you sending to us? We want Moses to come back because Moses, now Moses was a good leader. There's a story of the Bible where Moses, <laughs> I mean Moses what, sees someone beating up one of his people. What does he do? He kills that fool. Moses, dude, Moses is a fighter. He's strong. He's tough. This servant isn't like Moses. He's not the fighter who wins. He is going to get beat down to a bloody pulp. I can't imagine reading this going, this is our hope? This is the hope you give us, God? You said servant is going to die? I could do that. The servant's going to suffer. But weirdly, he's going to suffer not because he's evil. He's not a bad person. He doesn't break any law. He suffers because of us. And it says... Weirdly, that when he suffers, our suffering will be healed, which makes no sense. Because let's say I get hit by a car. I've been hit by two cars in my life. I know what I'm talking about. I'm not lying. Hit by a car, you know what happens next? You lay on the ground for a long time. You just lay there, bloody, broken, just like I'm not dead but I, I, I feel like I am, like you're just on the ground, a bloody mess. Let's say my good friend sees me get hit by a stinking car. Oh, Ernesto, your broken body. I know what I'll do. I'll run out get hit by a car too, and then you'll feel better. No! Now we're both in the street, bloody and broken. My wounds don't magically go away, do they? I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm I mean, like, way to stand with your buddy, but dude, I'm still, I still gotta go to the hospital. But now we need two ambulances, not just one. But this surf, suffering servant says when he gets wounded, somehow his wounds heal the wounds of the people who are already hurt, which is like, how does that even work? Yeah. Then he, Isaiah goes on. This servant was oppressed and he was afflicted, he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away as for generations. Who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Listen, the servant dies. That's got to be, you're reading, you're waiting for the end of the movie. Usually in a movie when you watch it, the main hero takes some hits, right? Gets shot in the shoulder, you know, maybe shot in the leg if it's real real beat up. He's beat up, maybe got a bloody lip, but he's limping along, and he finds a way at the end of the movie, right, to win. You know what he does? Even though he's beat up, he does a crane kick, and he wins the Mid-Valley Tournament, right? It's a Karate Kid reference for you. You, you you find a way. The, the hero wins, beat up, break down, ah, oh, boom! Oh, you win. This hero loses. He he dies. He dies. They're reading this scroll, Say, so, "Okay, God's going to send us this hero, this deliverer, going to send us a new Moses, but apparently he's going to die in the midst of the ministry." This hero, this suffering servant's gonna come and he's going to, no one's gonna like him. He's gonna get beat up, then he's gonna die and be buried among the wicked, even though he's innocent and there's no deceit in his mouth. And this is the most surprising thing of all, verse 10. Yet it, it was the will of the Lord to crush him, which means this servant, this everything that happens to him. It's not an accident. It's what God intended. He has put him to grief, and when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offering, he shall prolong his days. And now the text is really weird because he obviously dies. His soul makes an offering for guilt. An offering means you've been dead and given to God. But after he dies, he shall see his offspring. And the word here, the word see, means he shall see and keep on seeing. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. This guy, after he dies, is going to be really, really prosperous, pro- prosperous, which makes no sense. Because how can you be prosperous when you're dead? He goes... By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. He shall divide, he shall divide the spoil with the strong. I'm going to give this servant this awesome inheritance. He's going to share it with all these people. How is he dividing the inheritance if he's dead? Then it says, because he poured out his soul to death all and was numbered with the transgressors, Yet he bore the sin of many, and he makes intercession for the transgressors. He stands between the transgressors and their sin. Again, the word used is he intercedes and keeps on interceding. He stands between people and their sin and keeps on standing there, which means, weirdly, listen, even the rabbis, the Hebrew rabbis, couldn't explain it, but they thought, man, The servant's going to come, and somehow, after he dies, he's going to live. The servant lives, which they couldn't explain. How can the servant live after they are dead? But they believe, listen, Isaiah told us. And so what the Hebrews would do, they would spiritualize this passage. Some of the Hebrew rabbis would say, well, what this means is that Messiah will see Israel suffering and feel so bad, it's like he died inside from his sad feelings. Man, that's a really bad way to read this passage. I mean, Isaiah is like, he's making sure you don't misunderstand him. You know what I'm saying? It's like if my wife says to me, Ernesto, next Friday is our anniversary. I'd really love to go to Panera Bread, that really fancy restaurant we love. And... Uh, That's for you, Dave. Um, All I want is a Frottega chicken sandwich and a cup of chicken noodle soup. And she tells you this on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. And Friday comes, and I'm like, I come home, and she's ready to go, you know, out in the town, dressed so nice to go to Panera. And uh, I walk in the door with McDo's like, happy anniversary, baby. I missed the point, didn't I? I mean, she gave me all the hints. Like, this is what I want to do for our anniversary. And I'm like, Big Macs, baby? Like, Like, I missed the point. Isaiah was like, do not miss what I'm saying. He uses all this language, crushed, pierced. I mean, he is saying, this guy dies. They're like, maybe he doesn't. He dies. And for years, the Hebrews thought, This was a hard passage for the Hebrews to understand. Who could possibly do all these things? And time moves forward. A thousand years pass. And a small plant grows out of the dry ground. A baby is born to a young mother, born before the wedding day of the mother and the father, born in a manger. This kid grows up in the hood called Nazareth. As the locals said, what good thing can come out of Nazareth? His whole life, rumors followed him. I heard their parents got pregnant before they got married. Oh, Son of a carpenter, poor. And he starts speaking. And he starts healing. He starts casting out devils. He starts speaking, and even the winds and the waves obey him, and it freaks people out. And they wonder, what if this is the guy? The guy we were promised from Abraham, to eyes the Jacob, the son of David, the suffering servant, Isaiah told us would come and bring hope to all of us, and not just to Israel, but to all the peoples of the earth. Maybe this guy's him. And even though the 12 have this text, they still think he's our hero. He's gonna fight Caesar, right? I'm gonna pay-per-view style fight Caesar and take him out in 12 rounds. They forget the servant doesn't win. The servant suffers, and the servant dies. And Jesus, he's rejected, isn't he? The leadership doesn't want him. The priests don't like him. The rich don't like him. The Romans don't like him. At the end of his life, even the common, the common people spit upon him as he dies on Golgotha Hill. Mocked by the Romans, mocked by the Jewish leaders, mocked by the high priest, God's guy. And as people walk to go shopping, they're looking and pointing, throwing rocks at him. This guy is rejected. And he suffers. He suffers. He truly is pierced. What's crazy is when Isaiah predicted that the, the Messiah would be pierced, There was no means of Jewish death penalty, including blades. Jewish death penalty is always rocks. Big rocks, throw at you until you die. That's how you're killed in the Jewish death penalty. There there is no blades in Jewish law. A thousand years pass, and Rome rises up, and Rome kills with nails. They do pierce the bodies of those they sentence. Jesus suffers. And Jesus dies, which when your leader loses, it's hard to talk trash, right? I got friends of mine who are Alabama fans. And last week, Alabama lost to Tennessee, and it was a glorious day. (laughs) And guess what? No, no, Alabama fans were on Twitter talking trash. They were all quiet that day. I wonder what happened. When your team loses, you're not like, we're the best. You take your licks. "Mm, We're not the best. (laughs) Jesus dies, and his followers, they're like, I guess we're going home. There's a scene I've always loved in the movie Forrest Gump, where Forrest Gump is running out across America. People start following him across America, running behind him. And then he stops, right? And everyone stops like, tell us the wisdom. He's like, I'm pretty tired I'm going home. And everyone's so mad at him. I, I love that scene because that scene must have been what it felt like following Christ. And he just dies. Like, dude, these guys quit their jobs to follow Jesus. The 12 disciples all quit their Peter had to go home one day from work and say, honey, I've got great news. I quit my job. Why? I'm going to follow a homeless guy. It's going to be awesome. Like, these guys left everything to follow. This, and he dies on them. They thought he was going to be the king, and he's dead. Jesus, and he he doesn't just die. He dies the death of a criminal. In public, humiliated. These guys, they scatter. Jesus dies. No historian in the world will, will, will argue this point. Jesus was a real rabbi who taught and who lived in northern Galilee, and Rome killed him. We have records of his death from beyond the scriptures. And the craziest thing happens. Jesus rises from the dead. How can someone die and live? They have to defeat death. And none of us can do that. We can't do that. Jesus does it. The devil says checkmate and he loses and he's like, puts a king right back up. Which is cheating, but he made the game, so he's allowed. Jesus defeats death. He literally, the breath comes flowing back into his lungs, and he is alive again. And he is seen by all of his followers. I've said it many times. There's a historian named Tom Holland. This historian Tom Holland, not Spider-Man, different guy, British guy. Well, they're both British. But anyways, an older guy and he's bald. Bald Tom Holland, not attractive Tom Holland, is a historian. Sorry, bald Tom Holland. Okay, so Tom Holland's a historian. He wrote a book called Dominion that I, I love the book very much. And in the book, he says, he's trying to explain how Christianity, how it leaves Rome and spreads across the whole earth. And he says, he can't explain. It. He goes, I cannot explain how Christianity, Christianity, the, the values of the, of the Christians go completely against the Roman world. Christianity should never have survived that first century was alive. It should never, it should have been, it should have been just smushed out so fast. He says, the only thing I can, the only thing I can explain. Christianity's rise and expansion is behind the veil of history. Something must have happened between 30 and 40 AD. Something must have happened to take normal, ordinary fishermen to make them intelligent and bold and brave and wise to allow them to fight the entire empire and not get crushed. What could take normal people and make them all into superheroes? He doesn't know. He goes, he says, it's behind the veil of history. I'll tell you what made ordinary people into superheroes. They saw a dead man get up. And like, 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 whatever you do to me, you can't even deny what I saw. This guy was, you killed him dead, dead. I mean, you killed him dead in a way, ain't no one getting back up. And he got back up. And my, It changes everything, and I will never stop telling his story. Never. You can crush me upside down. You can kill my wife. You can kill my kids. I'm not shutting up about this. And the, the message goes. It just goes. Jesus lives again. He lives. A lot of us treat religion like a set of like uh, superstitions. Maybe if I have a cross and I rub it, I'll have no traffic jams on the way to work. Maybe if I give money to the church, maybe I'll win the lottery. We do things to get things from God. We're hoping if I find the right levers to pull, God will give me what I ask of him. We, a lot of us think of God as this far off, distant, old man in the sky. That is not what Christ came to do. Christ did not come to get us to heaven. Christ came to bring us to his Father right here and now. I didn't come to Jesus because I was afraid of hell. I came to Jesus when I was 14 because I desperately needed to know there was love in the world that was true. My wife and I were joking watching the news the other day. Um... Part the UK is a mess right now. It's, I've been, I watch because it makes me laugh because I'm a horrible person. But like the prime minister stepped down last week and I was like, ah, you're worse than us. Like, uh, <laughs> like uh, I was watching the news about it, you know. And uh, there was a story came out that in the Congress, people were pushing one another in the parliament building. And there's a story that there was guys in the bathroom crying on the toilets. They, they go in the, the stall, lock it to the toilet, just cry because they're so stressed and angry. And I'm, I'm on the couch, I'm talking all this trash. I'm like, you cry in the bathroom, you be a man. You go home to your own bathroom and cry there. Like, I, I was just talking trash. <laughs> but I was, I, I was being honest because I'm saying, like, life is hard. And we do need to cry sometimes. And when I need to cry, you know what I do? I cry on the Lord. I, I'm like, Lord, I, you are still alive, and you can catch me as I fall. And he does, and he has, and he will. So the question we have for ourselves this day, Isaiah pro- he prophesied the servant would come, and he has come. You know what's crazy? The Hebrews, they understand that Christ fulfills this so much, they had to change their interpretation of it. They had to say, you know what? Maybe it's not, it's not messianic. They say now this is not messi- it's not about Messiah, it's about something else. They had to just say, because they if they say if they admit this is about Messiah, it points to Jesus. The needle points north. They're like, ah, we'll ignore this now. This is obviously, with all of its strength and power, pointing to Christ. And here's the reality we ask the question, how could someone's wounds make my wounds disappear? It says here that all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Our wounds, deep down, all of us know there's a God. The agnostics, the atheists, we all know there's something more out there. There's an old saying, there are no atheists in foxholes. When the world Goes crazy. Everybody calls on somebody. I mean, everybody. We all know there's something more than what I can see. This is not just accident. The existence of love tells us we are more than matter. We are more than time and matter and chance. There's intention in all of this. And even though we know there's a God, we know there's true things, we walk away from the true. Even if you're not a Christian, even the rules we make for ourselves, even the little rules we make for our own lives, we break. Even the little rules we make. Every year we make what those, uh, it's January's in three months, we make the stipends, the the resolutions. We make resolutions, right? And we all make them. I'm going to spend this money at McDonald's this year. I'm going to go to the gym three times a week. We make rules for our own lives, and we don't keep them. We break our own laws, and we break God's laws. And because we do this, we hurt. We hurt our communities. We hurt our families. We hurt ourselves, and we separate ourselves from God. And Christ suffers said, all the rebellion of our lives. The debt we owe, Christ dies in our place. He suffers in our place, and truly, by His wounds, we are healed. Franklin Graham came to Flint a few weeks ago, and I went to the thing. It was like in, at a Crossroads Village, and you had to bring your own chair. You had to bring a chair. You had to set it down and sit. Like it was all like. Um, Bring you your own camp chairs. But there was a VIP section there at the place with nice chairs. There was like a few of them there. And uh, I got invited to the VIP section. I'm not, I'm not saying, but when you go there, they're like, uh, what are you doing here? I'm like, well, I'm Ernesto. They're like, we don't, I don't care who you are. Like, like, they don't know me. I'm like, oh, I'm friends with so-and-so. They're like, oh. Come right in, Mr. Alanis. Because I was friends with so-and-so, I could go into the VIP section. It wasn't based on who I am in the city, what I do for a living. I knew the right person was allowed to come in VIP. And here's the reality. I can't go to the God of heaven and say, God of heaven, look at all the good I've done for you. Look how nice I am, look how loving I am. The Bible says that our, to God, our righteousness is as filthy rags. Toilet rags, the Bible says. When I come to the Father, I don't come because I, I'm, I I don't come because I deserve it. I don't come because I earn it. When I come to the Father, I go, Father, I don't deserve to be here, but I believe in Your Son, and He's like, Come on in. Because I'm in Christ, because you're in Christ, you can enter God's presence. And the question we have to ask today is very simple: Who are you? Do you reject the servant that God has sent? Or are you healed by his wounds? Do you reject the servant God has sent? Say, I don't want none of that. I don't care about that. I don't need that. I'm out. Do you reject the servant? Or are you healed by his wounds? There's no middle ground. Now, if you choose to reject the son, to reject the Christ, You don't become our enemy. Just so you know that. The church of Christ has no enemies. When the crowds mocked Christ and spit on him, you know what he said? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If you reject him today, I just want you to know we're praying for you today and tomorrow that you'll find your way back home. Jesus calls and he searches and he chases. But it's our great hope and prayer that you sitting here today will see that Christ is the promised servant of God. That he was rejected by men. That he suffered for your sake. That he died. An innocent man died. And he rose again, defeating death and bringing life to all who believe on his name. As we close... We're going to do something highly (laughs) odd. I want us to remember this verse. We're going to sing a song. suffering servant who died that you may live. The lyrics are very easy. are healed. In this room there are sinners. We have truly done things that we are ashamed of. We have hurt others. We have hurt ourselves. We've hurt our families. We've hurt our futures. In the midst of our mistakes, it's easy to feel that there's no hope, but there is hope in you, O Lord, because by your wounds we are made whole. By your wounds we are healed. Let us hold on to this prayer. Let us follow you. Let us hold on to you. Let us speak your name in our lives. You are Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, anointed one. You came as we may live, and we will praise your name with all the breath you give us. In Christ's name, we ask all these things.